0: My Shri Hello, everyone, and welcome to Silent Wisdom Online Satsang. It's a great opportunity for all of us to get together again, meet, connect, and discuss spiritual things. So, let us start. Uh, last week, uh, there were quite a few questions that came. One from the topic that I had done, the layers of the mind, plus, there were some. Other questions, so I thought why not continue with the same? And then in case you have anything you want to share or discuss or ask, please do so. Also feel free to unmute and talk. So let's start with the first question which came from Chayank. I have already answered them actually in the group itself. But still I thought uh, let me take them up again. If there is more and in case you may have anything else to add or ask about them, please do so. So the first is, how is it possible that people move to other planes without crossing the level of knowing themselves? Now here there is an assumption that one can move to the planes only once people have self-knowledge, only when they know themselves. That is the ignorance over here the moving to the planes or other planes or different layers is pretty automatic process as we have understood only after a particular level or when you are on a particular layer and the knowing happens when the self-knowing happens which also happens by itself actually then when the movement to the other plane happen that happens with awareness and it the more control appears in that movement because there is awareness. Otherwise, it is happening all the time. Like, as I said, you know, moving from waking state to sleeping state or moving from waking to dreaming or sleeping to dreaming. These are also, in a way, one can say these are different states, but that is happening. Or at the time of death, there is a possibility of moving to a different plane, which is happening without knowing who you are. So that is automatic. Second question is, you mentioned there are infinite senses. Please share some resources to study them. Yes, there are infinite senses and uh, the resources to study them would be shared by the guru. There are, uh, see these things are not shared very openly. Uh, Like some of the things that one can easily refer to is what we know about the siddhis. He say, nah, for Hanumanji, Nav Nidhi Siddhi Ke Data. So Nav Nidhi, what those Nav Siddhiya that are there? No, Asht Siddhi Nav Nidhi Ke Data, sorry. So eight Siddhis. Now, what are the Siddhis? All the Siddhis are nothing but access to certain senses. All those extraordinary or superpowers are nothing but an access to those particular senses which open up due to certain sadhana or due to grace, like for Hanumanji, it is said that those who are uh, blessed by him, then he is the one who gives those powers to you. So what what is it meant by he giving those powers to you? Basically, you get access to those particular senses through which you get those controls or those abilities or skills to do certain things, which let's say, on the human plane, most people cannot do. So, as I had mentioned last time in in the earlier answer, that if you are in a land where everyone is blind and you have eyes, then you become that siddh only. So, some of these things are mentioned, but other infinite senses, we get examples from various stories, tales, legends from our mythology, Many of the things which are mentioned, nobody is talking about them openly because another way is that there is no way to prove them. How is, even if there is a book about those infinite senses, that these are the planes, this is where you go, these are the senses which would be there, there might be possibility that there is some, uh, there are some resources or books available uh, about that. But then they would be shared by the Guru with very few people, those who understand and those who are not going to get confused by it. Because otherwise, who is going to believe this? But we get references, as I said, in mythology. For example, whenever we hear, uh, let's say, you must have heard about, uh, all of us would have read Gulliver's Travels. Now, what was that? That means that, it was an access to another plane. There must be some planes like that when he's talked about those travels. It is not imagination. That is where it is coming from. Even Harry Potter when we talk about or many of, uh, you know, all of these movies or books where there are all these stories about magic or different planes. Lately, right now, uh, the Avatar movie, which is very popular, So, I haven't seen the avatar 2, but in avatar 1, where he is traveling to some moon, what is that? It is another astral plane. So, you get references to these astral planes through these stories, movies and all that. But specific knowledge is only shared by the guru with the right kind of seeker. Because you need to have a certain kind of maturity before that information can be shared with you because otherwise it is very dangerous it is really dangerous the theosophical society has a lot of literature about it actually they have uh, their whole library so you know people who are part of the theosophical society again there are certain rules regulations how you can become their member but that is where you would have them i know there are certain books by uh, cw led which might be available, there are certain organizations, some of the books have been published. But again, when I have also read a couple of those books, they are so cryptic, they would not give you the knowledge directly. And it's not supposed to be, as I said, because the knowledge can be dangerous uh, for those who are not ready for that knowledge. I'll share another story, I think I have shared that earlier about Swami Rama of the Himalayas. Once he was traveling with his guru, uh, Bengali Baba, and uh, you know that in these monasteries, uh, the Buddhist monasteries and even other places, there are these scrolls that they have, or they have these uh, manuscripts, which have many of these practices or about these, you know, what actually about these different planes or esoteric practices so they were carrying uh, some of the manuscripts from one place to the other like Swami Rama's guru and Swami Rama they were carrying it and Swami Rama was of course you know he was young at that time and very excited and curious about what is in it and he wanted to read that and his guru specially told him that see you don't have to read this you are not ready for this so he said yes yes I will not read in the night what happened uh, they stayed somewhere and when the guru went off to sleep and swami rama was just waiting the moment guru went off to sleep he locked his room came out of the uh, came out and he had picked up the one of the manuscripts and there they had shared one practice so because of which you will get certain you know you will experience something uh, you will go into a different plane So he thought, let me do it. And, you know, what does my guru know? He doesn't know that I'm ready. He thought he was ready. He was mature enough to actually do that practice. And he started reciting that mantra. There was a mantra which was given. You had to recite it, I think, thousand and eight times. And uh, when he was at something about 900 or something, suddenly he found that there was a huge man over there standing next to him so huge i mean at least 100 times bigger than swami rama and another woman and who looked also very monstrous and the man said to the woman that um, i'm very hungry what are you going to feed me and the woman just you know pointed out to swami rama and said oh he's there now i'll just cook him for you and swami rama got so scared he just started uh, uh, you know shivering uh, very badly and then he fainted. The next thing he knew, he was being slapped by his guru and who made him wake up and he was still shivering. And then the guru scolded him, of course, and told him that, you stupid fool, what did you do? I had told you not to do this. These are practices, you sh- you were not ready for it. And then he realized that, yes, he was not ready. So sh- long answer for a short question. Uh, well, the bottom line is that uh, the resources or even... What you should know about these things will only be shared by your guru. Then you, he or she thinks that you are ready for it. They are not shared openly. Okay, Sanjay had asked, what are the typical dangers? I, I think uh, you got the answer, Sanjay, in Swami Rama's story. Because you would not be prepared for what can happen. Like there are a lot of people who are very excited about uh, astral projection, for example. The astral projection does not only happen that you go to some nice, higher, beautiful planes. No, one can easily go into lower planes also. You can go into lower realms if you don't know the process, if you haven't taken the guidance of your guru and you can get so scared, you can get so fearful that uh, it can actually affect you very, very badly. Yeah, Rajiv is saying be ready to be cooked. Absolutely. That is the danger. So, these things. That's why Guruji keeps saying, the nah, path of knowledge is the safest. Right? If you have to come into these things, then uh, there is a maturity and you need the support and guidance of the Guru. Not without that. Third question. How will the universal mother, Akashakti, will be explained? She is worshipped in many forms, like Kali, Durga and so on. Do these forms also undergo these levels? See, Shakti the way we look at from path of knowledge perspective, is the whole illusion. It is the symbolism. It is the symbol, the Kali, Durga and so on. Yes, they can also take certain forms. Nothing is difficult for them at all. But uh, the Shakti herself is the Maya, is the illusion who is changing. So when we say Ardhanarishwar, the Shiv and the Shakti. Shiv is what is not changing and Shakti is what is changing. So what is changing is what is undergoing all those levels and that is the Shakti herself. So yes, everything is happening in her. If you will think of Shakti as only a form, a Devi in a particular uh, woman's form and then thinking is she going to change, then that is a wrong perspective which is there. Fourth question, what causes an unhappy person to deliberate further unhappiness rather than choosing happiness? Ironically, having full knowledge that happiness can eliminate earlier suffering, that what is the mechanism of such actions, such kind of person finds happiness in being more unhappy. That's so true actually, that an unhappy person does not choose happiness but goes further and further into it and um, we would have all seen and I'm sure all of us have been in that place sometime or the other where we have thought of ourselves as victims and being a victim has its own addictive qualities, it's very addictive because the first thing, see there is some happiness even in being unhappy there is something, what you say, or there is something that you are getting over there. But if the first thing that happens is that uh, the moment you become a victim, you just give up responsibility and you feel, oh, you know, poor me. What is this happening with me? So I don't need to do anything. This is something, I am someone who always suffers. And there is a lot of comfort in that, that I don't need to do anything because I am very unhappy. Also, if... The mind takes on a particular form or a state and it starts going in a particular direction. That naturally becomes a comfort zone and that naturally one starts, you know, it's like uh, the whole vibration is is pushing you towards that. So it's like uh, when the water is going downhill, it is very natural for it to go downhill. If, If it has to go up, then it has to be pumped up, which is a more difficult process. So once the person is going down, it's very easy to fall and it takes a very, very strong will actually, even though you may realize that yes, I am being unhappy and I need to do something about it, but it will require a lot of effort and will, which most people do not have. And uh, at that time, what works is if you have someone who is strong enough to pull you up, and that is where, uh, you know, friends who are more mature, who have strong will or a guru, that is going to help you a lot. Otherwise, the tendency is to keep going down. That is what uh, is my answer. If anybody else has anything else to share here, uh, please do so or may have a different perspective. Okay, I'm reading Chayank's uh, comment here. Meanwhile, I wonder many stories are described in Puranas in which Devi has forms about, what about those? I guess probably they could point us to knowledge. So, in Puranas, all the stories, they have, yes, they have all been given for certain knowledge. See, knowledge when it is given straightforward, it is very difficult to understand for most people. But when it is shared in the form of a story, most people get it. What is different is that yes, another thing that happens is that people focus more on the story than on the knowledge. They forget the knowledge and keep the story with them. That's a different thing. But those are all simplified versions to explain something which is more complex. So for us, in this path, what is good in Chayang, since you also are on path of knowledge, what is important to know is that we look at Devi here as the changing aspect the all the vibration all the patterns all the layers everything which is changing that is what we see as Devi I'll read Rajiv's comment every living and non-living form every gross and subtle form every experience every imagination within and beyond imagination limits this and all other universes if there are so it's all Devi and Devi alone absolutely she is Sarvarupa, Sarvabhuteshu after and before it all. She is none other than one's true self. Just that she is infinitely appearing aspect. Words cannot describe her as words itself are her one form. Absolutely beautiful. Yes. So, Chang, stop uh, thinking too much about from the form or the Puranas. Don't mix paths over here. Anytime we will mix parts, there is going to be confusion. I think here it is the most simpler way that it has been defined. What do we mean by Devi? or Okay, I'm moving on to the fifth question. How to choose a meaningful life? How can I judge if having a family is more meaningful or a career or devoting life for a social cause? Okay, I'm going to ask all of you here. What do you think about it, about this question? Uh, this came in actually in one of uh, the sessions this week uh, with, a, you know, with a person who is not very spiritual. It's, it's more of a counseling kind of a thing but I thought let me take it up here. So how would you guide a person who is asking you that how do I choose a meaningful life? Satya so is saying whatever gives happiness is meaningful. Yes, very good answer. Whatever gives you happiness. Anaya is saying a life that gives you satisfaction and peace and happiness. Yes, very much. Very nice. Satya is also saying, and peace. Yes. Happiness and peace. Madhuri is saying from non-dual perspective, there is no one that can choose. Yes, that's also a very good answer, Madhuri. That from a now non-dual perspective, there is nobody who is choosing. So whatever happens, right? Pragya Deep is also saying same, whichever gives me more happiness and satisfaction, that is what I will choose. Sanjay is saying nothing matters nor any role as long as there is awareness for non doership. Okay, from the non dual perspective, again, there is nobody to choose. As I said, you know, this is for those who are with awareness. These are good answers. Now, there is someone who is not, who knows nothing about awareness. Who knows nothing about being spiritual. So how do you help those kind of people? Madhuri is saying but in duality happiness and peace will be preferred. Yes. Sanjay so saying this answer is more correct in duality. Satisfaction and peace. Yes. And actually for this we need an answer in duality. Somebody who has moved to non-duality wouldn't even ask such a question. This question itself is meaningless for that person No. So, the question is coming from duality. Rajiv is saying, service is what is meaningful. Non-duality is for understanding and abidance, but it's service which is meaningful at duality level. Okay. Madhuri is saying, family is also the part of society. It all depends upon the situations and preferences. Very good. Very good. So, very good answers. Uh, So, exactly. So, what I told this person is, see... um, at certain level and especially those who are at the, the understanding is from the what world has, what they have learned from the world, it comes an assumption that meaning is in the things. Meaning is what other things give you. What the people do not realize is that we give meaning to things. Things don't have meaning by themselves. So how to choose a meaningful life? Like as most of you said, what will give you peace and happiness? What will give meaning to you? It's not that somebody else is going to tell or you have to decide by things that it is the family which will be more meaningful or a career or a social cause. No, it is what you give meaning to. You are the meaning. And whatever that you give meaning to, that will become a meaningful life for you. It can be family also, it can be having a career or it can be a social core or it can be maybe even doing nothing. Even doing nothing could be meaningful for someone. Who knows what it is? So you have to choose. You are the one who gives meaning. Meaning is not in things. Meaning is not in out there. It is inside you. Although that also is something, you know, very difficult for people to decide and choose because they are looking that somebody else will answer. If somebody else who has experienced life knows much, should, you know, give them an answer that, okay, should I go for the family or the career or a social cause? But it's not that simple, isn't it? Who, how can anybody else tell you and give you an answer that how do you have a meaningful life? You have to choose it yourself. Okay, next question was... Are dreams completely useless or do they have any purpose at all? Well, uh, it's actually uh, very good because there is a lot of interest in dreams. Everybody has and uh, there is a tendency to also keep checking what these dreams could mean or could they give some reference to our lives or future or anything. Everybody has at some point or the other interest in dreams. Now, if you look from a path of knowledge perspective, dreams are useless. Why are they useless? Because they are not real. And when we say the waking life itself is not real, then dreams obviously are completely useless. Okay. So again, depends which path are we on. From a psychotherapy perspective and from for those people who do not have any awareness at all, Dreams become very useful because they give you a sense. They give you some clue into your personality. They give you some clue because some people are very good at hiding. They have done a lot of suppression and repression. Uh, They are not showing who they are. They themselves do not know. And what they are showing outside is also hidden. And that is where dreams become meaningful. Because in the dreams, there is a high possibility that your real self or your personality, real self, not the real self in the experiencer, but your personality may be showing through and it may give some hints and ideas about uh, what is working for you or what is happening for you. So one from a psychotherapy perspective. And then there are also certain traditions where uh, dreams have a purpose and a meaning. Like uh, there is a path called dream yoga. It's part of the Tibetan tradition where the master or the guru understands your progress through your dreams. You actually have to share, come and share your dreams. Your initiation happens based on that. Like what did you dream of or on a particular days, your uh, guru is going to tell you to record your dreams. And through which, whether you should be initiated into something, how will you move forward, what will be taught to you, is dependent on that. And uh, there, how do you, your interpretation of your dreams, so there is a lot that happens. But that is again about a particular path. So it depends what is it that you are using them for. If you are here on the path of knowledge, then dreams are completely useless. If you are using them for psychotherapy, yes, they will be very useful. If you are part of the dream yoga tradition, then yes, they are useful. I'll go to the last question now. Um, Is it possible to generate love tenderness within myself when I have not felt it for a long time? I feel that I have lost the capacity to experience that emotion. I don't know how many of you have also uh, anytime felt this, but sometimes after you get the knowledge, this happens. So, uh, this is a question that came from somebody after the understanding, right? Because when you see that the love is all, what do we say over here? That it is the oneness. The love is knowing that everyone is you only, correct? But here what is being talked about is the emotion of love. Not love in the sense of the universal I ness, but that feeling that you get because the detachment sometimes happens so much that those little caring things that you know, little emotion that one feels can also seem as if dried up, as if you know uh, those little emotions, feelings are not coming up in those things which earlier used to be something very common. So. It has come from a couple of people and uh, because it came in last week as well. So I thought let's let's talk about it. But I would like to know is has anybody else also experienced it maybe temporarily that the detachment happens so much you just feel that you know that little thing that emotion is difficult to feel. Has anybody else felt like that even for a while. Okay Sanjay is saying yes. Yes, thank you, Sanjay. Yes. It may be felt for some time because the detachment happens so much, or it may just last a little more time. Depends. Okay, Pragya Deep is saying, yes, these days if somebody dies, I can't grieve so much nor express. Right, right. Yeah. Because the understanding, so which is also good because there is an understanding, right? When somebody dies, you know that the person has not died. Correct. That the real person is there. The real is there, right? It is only that one particular form which was supposed to be for a limited period, temporary, that itself is gone. So yes, it becomes difficult. At the same time, you know, if this lasts for a long time, then uh, we do miss as well, right? So that is where uh, this question also came in. That you miss, oh, is there something wrong with me? Why am I not feeling that love or that tenderness or that emotion? Yeah, Madhuri is also saying same here, right? Now, I I really don't know. So uh, the person asked me that uh, how do I generate this love again or this emotion again? So I just uh, tried uh, this one thing and and, and I'm going to share with you all. I don't know whether it will work. It it may work for somebody. You can try it and let me know if it works for you. That uh, I think, yes, one can still generate that emotion. So I'll give you an example. Like uh, if let's say everything is fine, but if you want to think of, uh, something you know which something bad that happened to you and somebody had said something something which you had felt very badly maybe at some point of time so sometimes it happens just like that with that thought your mood can change right and if you start thinking negative although it may be difficult now but still it can happen that you think of something negative and then more and more negative thoughts will suddenly start appearing from somewhere. It's like opening up the Pandora's box, right? Uh, Like how uh, the question was that an unhappy person is going into more and more unhappiness. So just like that, if you think of something negative, the way we go into more and more negativity, more thoughts, more situations which cause negativity come in. If negativity can come in, why not love? You know, taking it in the reverse direction the love can also be generated so that what does what do we have to do so i think if we just start thinking of those times when we had felt that love whether for our uh, spouses mates children guru friends some of those, some of those situations just recalling those memories those situations and then after recalling the moment, so what do we have to catch? The moment you start recalling those memories and things, there will be a certain, certain uh, vibration that you would feel in your body or in your heart. Okay, and then shift your focus on that vibration. Shift your focus there and you can try that. It, it does help for those who might be looking for that. Okay. Have I lost the capacity or can I still feel it? Try it out. So what is it? That's something that we have experienced earlier. We just recall those memories and then catch on to that particular vibration. Because the more we will pay attention to, whatever we pay attention to, that expands. So one can do that. This is my answer to this question. This is the answer that I gave. If there is something else that you may have, please feel free. Please share with me. So Nena had also asked about resources to study for me too, about Tanmatra's dreams and other planes. So I think that got covered. You have to ask your guru. And now the Guruji is coming with Tantra Bodhi program very soon. And I'm sure a lot will be shared over there. And not only can you just study about or, you know, know that in theory, He is sharing things that you can actually experience them. Madhuri is saying but for me after detachment this state was temporary after that overwhelming feeling of love and it is still there. Very good, very good, yes. There does come a temporary state, yes you are right, which we all experience. Only when it for certain people it can last for a little longer making them feel what is happening. Okay, Vandita is asking, do we enjoy recalling negative memories unconsciously? So I would say, yes, there is a part of the mind which finds some pleasure in recalling negative memories. And whenever negative memories are recalled, there it is like as if some reward mechanism is there in terms of Uh, being a victim and I don't know how or why but there is some pleasure in there Uh, we had already discussed this also on the other question on the fourth question that um, and once you are in that state it is like it is it just perpetuates and one gets more and more into it Uh, mainly I think it's because you don't want to take responsibility it's very easy to say, oh, poor me. And then I don't need to act. I don't need to make any effort. I don't need to work. I can just be let go of everything. I mean, all my responsibilities and be a crybaby or be sad or depressed. So there is also some addiction in being depressed. Only when it becomes extremely painful that one decides to come out of it or may need help. And for that also, somebody may need help. Otherwise, it can really pull one down i don't know how the vibrations work but yes because if there was no enjoyment we would immediately drop it we would not recall them if we look at it from another point of view then who is recalling right it is a process which is happening it is an automated process in which the negative memories are being recalled and some pleasure is being derived from it if you stay in awareness you will immediately notice and then it will just go away But otherwise, one can fall into it. Rajiv is asking, does anyone has any experience on Rudraksh? I know it's all useless on POK, but curious to know first-hand experiences if someone can share. So would someone like to share here? I do wear a Rudraksh Rajiv, uh, which was given to me by a very good friend of mine. And I wear it more in her memory than as, you know, like a Rudraksh Rudraksh. But I know of a lot of people who speak about it having positive benefits for the heart or other things. and But then it has to be the right one, knowing what is the right one for you. So there's a lot of combination about it. That is what that I know of Rudraksh, very limited knowledge. Rajiv is asking which one, how many mukhi? So I'm wearing ek mukhi, ek mukhi Rudraksh. And I don't wear it all the time. I also remove it. I don't have this thing that, oh, if I remove it, something will happen. Nothing. I just wear it or remove it depending on my mood. Okay. And I was saying might be because people also want attention of those around like family and friends. Very good point, Anaya. Absolutely. Yes. When you are depressed, sad, negative you would get attention from others, which itself becomes the motivator for you to remain more in the victim mode. I completely agree here, yes. So there is a reward mechanism that happens in the mind and then there is a reward mechanism about getting attention from others from the outside. ivandita is saying, I tried it once without any recommendations for career growth. I don't know what worked, whether the beads or my intention. I got promotion. Very good, excellent. Satya is saying most fall in the trap of self-sympathy. Yes, so true. So that must also be coming from the lower layers which just start pulling you down. Satya is saying but it is painful. When it becomes, so until it is painful plus pleasure giving, one may stay there. When it becomes only painful, that is when a person would want to get out of it. Otherwise, the person can just stay in that trap for a very long time. Rajat is saying, I'm afraid of change. What does it represent? See, nobody likes change, Rajat. It is a very natural human tendency or the tendency of the mind. It likes to stay in what is there any change is not like but then yes when you say i'm afraid of change then that would become an affliction if if it really creates that kind of fear in you nobody likes change that is an accepted fact fear of change would mean then there is more ignorance because what we realize is and especially here that everything is changing all the time and change is the only thing which is constant, right? Paradoxically. So the change has to happen. So instead of becoming afraid, how can I get more knowledge? How can I become more comfortable? And how can I become more stable in that which does not change? The moment you become stable in that which is unchanging in you, then the fear of change will go away so right now the fear is only representing that there are things you do not understand and there are still things which are unknown so make the unknown known am is saying i'm not able to concentrate on my work what should i do don't have anxiety or something but still unable to focus on anything So, AM when you are saying concentrating on your work, is it about the job, studies, what is this? Whenever we are not able to concentrate on certain things, job, okay, that shows that you are not interested. It does not interest you because whenever we are interested in something, naturally we are able to concentrate there. Does your job interest you? Do you like it? You like it. Okay, then how does that help? Why the concentration is not happening? If you like it and if you enjoy the work. So one is that it is not interesting enough to be able to catch your attention or concentration. Second could be there is something else which is catching your attention maybe you as you said you are liking your job but there is something else so where are you finding your concentration moving towards like how we say let's say when a child is sitting in the class and the teacher is teaching and the child is not paying attention and looking outside the window now normally the teacher would say the child is not motivated right the child is motivated The child is not motivated to listen to the teacher. The child is motivated to look outside the window, right? So, there is a motivation. So, here also similarly, it's not that you are not able to concentrate. The concentration is somewhere else. If it is not on the job, then it is somewhere else. That is what you need to find out. Where is it going? M is saying, my another question is, how do you know if your chakras are imbalanced? How to balance it your own chakras? So, for this, you would have to check with someone who can give you guidance about whether your chakras are balanced or not. If you haven't learned that, it is not, uh, you have not learned it as part of your practice, then don't try to balance your own chakras. You have to take proper guidance from someone. And the ways, very simple ways of knowing the chakras are imbalanced is if there is suffering in the life, if there are problems in life. If you are not at peace, if you are not happy, things are not going well, you have a lot of disturbance, there is no peace, then you know that the chakras are imbalanced. But to balance your chakras, you need proper guidance. Madhuri is saying, there is a child in my family calling himself as Vicky. He is just 1.5 years old. Whenever someone call him by his name, he says, I am Vicky. There is no other child in his neighborhood and also there is not TV. Can't get the reason. He keeps crying unless they call him that, yes, you are Vicky. Maybe there is some remembrance from, you know, one can, nobody can know. One can only interpret that, yes, Satya also said the same. That maybe remembers the previous life, that name. But at 1.5 years, yeah, Children do start talking. So, there is a possibility he may have remembrance, which is likely to go away in some time as he will grow. Very, very few, very rare cases continue to have that remembrance. Yeah, Rajiv has a good solution. Let everyone start calling him Vicky, problem solved. True. He can be named Vicky. I guess Satya is saying, my son was like that as a toddler, not anymore. He would say that I am not his mother. This is not his home. Yeah, so he would also remember okay it's 10 o'clock time to end the session i hope uh, thank you for coming in thank you for participating and thank you for asking such wonderful questions i'm going to see you again next week till then enjoy stay in awareness stay happy don't be a victim bye everyone